You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McCuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is a podcast from ComediansComedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello there and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and I'm not given to warnings before shows particularly. We talk about all sorts of things on this show and uh, not all of them are, well, some of them might take you by surprise. But seeing as in this show specifically, we're going to be speaking to someone whose work is very provocative and the specific piece of work of hers that we're focusing on is all about rape and issues surrounding Uh, surrounding all sorts of things, the use of that word, that concept, that crime in comedy and uh, people's reactions to the use of it on stage, all those sorts of things. Uh, Just consider yourself duly warned. Um, Probably of all of the shows, this is the least suitable for children. Um, Recorded at the little flat that international performers are given when they perform at the Soho Theatre, here is the very funny, very articulate, very passionate Adrian Truscott. How was the show last night, Adrian? Is it Adrian or Adrian? You pronounce it Adrian. I say it like a boy. You like do say Adrian. it like a boy. I noticed when you signed off last night. I know, night. but I think, um, but it's meant to be pr- pronounced like a lady, Adrienne. It's a French ending. E-N-N-E. Why don't you pronounce it like a lady? I don't know. The only person in my whole family who does is my dad. And anytime I, like, there is a thing, like, if I hear, like, Adrienne, I, go, I just think I'm in trouble. Except... In London and Australia, people tend to say Adrienne or Adrienne. To kind of feminise you? (laughs) Hey, let's get right in there. They'll do what they will in spite of my efforts in the the opposite direction, apparently. You are doing... I don't know whether to start with your interesting background or the fascinating thing you're doing at the moment. I've got all of these questions about about your show, some of which we talked about last night. Mm -hmm. But for... You, you're not, as normally I do, straight stand-ups on this show. Right. I do people who come and do stand-up comedy. Now, you're doing a show that's kind of about stand-up comedy, but I mean, do you think of yourself as a stand-up comedian? Um, I think I'm starting to. I, would, I mean, I think of myself as a comedian, like the Vava Sisters, which I know we haven't talked about yet, but is a circus comedy cabaret act. And, you know, probably 80... 80% or at least of that show is us chatting on the mic being funny mm-hmm. ideally mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely felt like it was a very different thing when I was making this show and I know I always wanted to do stand up but when I first started making it it took me a while to figure out if I was playing a character who was a stand up comedian or if I was doing stand up yes. and ultimately 
now I think I'm doing, in this show, I think I'm doing both. But I think it's a stand-up show. Like, it's an hour of stand-up. Obviously, there's other things to it. Like, other tricks and gimmicks in there. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I, in some ways, I feel like I might not know till my next show if I'm a stand-up. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yes, because well, one of my questions for later on is going to be, what's next? Right. Now that you've done this, because you, yeah, well, <laughs> you've done, um, and for those of you, well, let's have it in your own words for for people who haven't seen the show, which is, I mean, it's it's massive in terms of Edinburgh. You smashed the festival last year. You were doing mm. uh, Bob's Bookshop, yes. now to be correctly known as Bob and Misbehaves Bookshop. Yes, um, but you, that was a free venue, and you were doing this show late at night. Tell us what the show is, and then for people that weren't at the festival or who haven't seen it on your right. increasingly expansive world tour of the show <laughs> just in your own words if you could this show, uh, yeah this solo show. um i call it um a, it's in the title but i call it asking for a one lady rape about comedy that's like the the basic thing and i definitely called it a rape about comedy instead of a comedy about rape because i felt like i was uh ultimately i was the, my first question when i started working on it was like could i use Given that I like to use humor personally and professionally to deal with all kinds of difficult things, could I make a show about using comedy to talk about rape culture and the kind of stuff that... Bless you. Excuse me. I'm just, we're already <laughs> in very deep territory and I just had to sneeze. I'm so it's sorry. Okay. Uh, um, cause it, uh, so that was my first thing. And I thought, that sounds like such a terrible idea. And I, from whether it's like a cabaret act or a joke or even dances I've made, I find often when I, when a real, when an idea occurs to me that seems pretty terrible, but like mm-hmm. uh, cheeky terrible, but it won't leave me alone, I get real excited, and that's when I know I'm working on something, because I feel like there's something in the risk, in what I'm perceiving is like, oh God, this could fail horribly. There's something in that that's the risk element that could make it worth doing and then it's incredible potential to fail to me means you're going to have to work really fucking hard or it will fail but the work that you'll do to make that risk not fail is is what's worth working on so that's kind of what I had with this show and it just wouldn't leave me alone and that was before all I was working on it before all the rape joke stuff blew up into such a thing um but as I was working on it I or almost immediately I also realized like I was trying to figure out stuff about comedy and what you're allowed to do and and how you can do it and why it's so like such a brilliant tool as much as I was dealing with rape culture um so I made so I called it a rape about comedy because I also feel like I'm sort of doing material to the to the audience that the audience doesn't necessarily want but I keep doing it sure yeah okay okay yeah so the the content of the show then is yeah. it seems to me and correct me or if, if if i'm wrong but it seems to me content wise to be a mix of uh cabaret style visual jokes the reveals yeah. the costume reveals stuff like that yeah audience kind of interaction and manipulation and kind of not like you don't get anyone up on stage but it's, it's very direct address and you're right. very you know you're asking people questions and there's a lot of that um, there are kind of multimedia elements when you are famously, and I, I think you know we can't spoil the show. It's been it's been out for long enough, yeah, but you know you're you you project you know talking heads onto your naked 
body or right. your partially naked body so that your pubic hair is the beard, the goatee of the face. Right. And memorably in the taxi driver one, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't want to give too much away, but, that's, yeah, but you then play with that idea. Right. Um, but you also do, you have kind of comic premises. I, I hate using the word premises, but you know what I mean? You, you yeah. take comic angles on stuff. So you look at the Daniel Tosh incident uh, when he uh, uh, kind of dealt with a heckler who was telling him he couldn't do a rape joke by saying, wouldn't it be funny if everyone jumped on this woman and raped her now? So you explore that. You take a comic line through it. You take, um, you know, the the angle you're pursuing is, is, uh, uh, you know, wouldn't it be better if, you know, male comedians tried to make me laugh against my will? You know what I mean? So, yeah. so you're kind of so, and and that I suppose what I'm before we get onto that the the very kind of heavy subject matter. Right. What I'm trying to say is that you, as well as having these cabaret elements, it seemed to me there were distinctly cabaret elements and distinctly stand-up comedy elements where we yeah. can imagine someone like Louis C.K. to pluck a, a well-known stand-up saying, "This is my angle on this subject." Right. You see what I mean? So, yeah. you, so there was lots of those. So, I'm interested in the. That's what the show is now. Mm. What did the show start off being? How long ago did you start writing it? And what was what was the initial contents? Did you kind of go, oh, I've got a 10-minute cabaret bit that I do that's about this, and I'll build on it? Or did you sit down and go, I'm going to make an hour about this one topic? Um, I... I feel like I've spoken for far longer than I normally do, but you know, let's, <laughs> okay. let's start from here. I made an initial joke with a bunch of other female comics, um, and we all laughed. And what, like, was, I... what was the joke? Um, the joke, it, well, okay, I'll, should I say the joke or the premise? I should say the joke first. Where I, we were all talking about like um, weird stereotypes of women that we don't welcome. And I said, I know, I mean, like, not to brag, but I've been raped twice. As if it's a crazy thing to say. But we all laughed because I feel like all of us women knew that that spoke to like so many stupid misunderstandings in the world about who gets raped or why they get raped or all that sort of shit. We all laughed. And then it was just like we all were making jokes that were along that sort of dark line to tread. And it felt really like a bit of a thrill and a release to joke from our angle. Um, And I don't use that joke in the show. It used to open. I thought it was going to open the show because I Mm -hmm. thought it was such a bizarre thing to say. Um, I kind of increasingly, I can't remember. The show's changed so much since Edinburgh that I can't quite remember um, wh- how it started but I did do a bit in a like there's a, there was a show in New York um, which was more it was like comedy cabaret and you just do one bit to a song mm-hmm. and I did something to that whistle song okay I the Flow Rider song yeah, yeah. You, you had to do something to a like horrifyingly contemporary piece of music <laughs> we all had to do okay. something in the top ten so you like your aesthetic choices were so oh wow what an exercise oh, so fun it was such a fun show and now it doesn't happen anymore where, anyway, where, where was that that was in New York yeah uh, it was yeah it was at Joe's Pub called Our Hit Parade which was okay. based on this old American TV show about top like the top gotcha. 10 hits of the day kind of thing before that I'd done some stuff with the image with the um, projections mm-hmm. in a dance I'd made ages ago having nothing to do with any of this and then I did what did it in one of those our hit parades um, about like 
the guy on the, you know, about like what it's really like, what we really think of the guy on the street that hassles a lady. And you're just like, I'm pretty sure this hasn't happened to the guy on the street. Mm -hmm. You never end up fucking the lady you heckle. It never works out that way. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. You mean heckle yeah. in, the, in terms of in the I mean, public. sorry, heckle. Yeah. Hassle. Hassle, sure. heckle. Yeah, yeah. Like, so so um, almost the, the comic angle there oh, is... If you heckle me, you absolutely end up fucking me. <laughs> so just go... But, yeah. but the comic premise of that bit is there's a guy in the street shouting at women as they go past. Like right. we might imagine the stereotype in the UK is builders giving grief to women. You know, right. and what you're saying is... That is never successful. It's never successful. Yeah. So what okay. are they thinking? And it's a very dingling kind of character that I do. Like I'm like, well, I mean, what's the what the heck kind of yeah. character? So that was, and then I thought, oh, that maybe that's in it because it also has this weird thing. When I thought about the comedians, or the whatever being projected on my belly, I also thought there's the potential for the weirdness that it does. Like it's those. Then it might be like men's words, and some of them I agree with, and some of them I'm commenting on but it's kind of like my pussy's talking or it's like transplanted to, a, you know, does it have a different feeling to hear the same words when you sort of have to deal with that? <laughs> so I thought that might be in it. And, um, and then I did another bit, bit with the whistle, which actually was probably a year later almost, where, which was right around the Daniel Tosh thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so I sort of knew that those things would, those elements would be in it. Um, and, uh, but I... <clears throat> So, I don't know, things just jumped in, like things were happening in the world that just started becoming material. Um, I kind of, I, you know, I, I did start looking up like which comedians have made jokes about rape and like Carlin's thing, I felt like it was a perfect way. Carlin saying, um, now I'm going to like misquote him, which is the worst, um, <clears throat> but says like, you know, don't tell me I can't talk about rape. Rape's not funny. I say, fuck you. I think rape's hysterical. How do you like that? And he's coming from, it's Carlin, so he's coming from such a freedom of speech angle. And I feel like that's, for me, the perfect way to talk about the show because I do feel like you can joke about absolutely anything. Whether you're, like, a cunt and joke about it stupidly and without wit is up to whoever's doing the joke. But, um, so I, and I... And I sort of like the, I like the idea that I might have a dress on and these sort of comedians were hidden under my dress commenting on my show. Mm -hmm, that, I thought mm -hmm. that was going to happen at first. Um, but, I mean, it's changed so much from doing it. And I didn't... I, I've, never, I've never written an hour-long show. So, in some ways, I felt like a real stand-up because I would go out and do a section and be like, did that work? Sure. Okay. And, you know, it was weird material to find out if that... There's no way to find out what's going to be funny for anybody unless you're in front of an audience. Sure. Trying that material out and not getting it right the first time is weird. <laughs> yes. Because your, your background... We should, I feel we should just digress briefly into your background with the Val Vals. Yeah. And so how did you start off performing? Because how, how did you start off performing and how did you start off making? And let's look at that in the context of how you made this. Because right. it seems to me like your process for this is... I've got. All, I'm constantly creating all this stuff, and I assembled the bits that were appropriate, and then built around them. Which yeah. I, I kind of register that as a, yeah. as a process, absolutely. So, but let's just see. Let's just find out for a minute who you were when you were making that stuff and right. why. Okay. So let's have. Let's do two minutes on a potted history of. Uh, okay. Brief Adrian. trajectory. Moved to New York to be a dancer. Okay. So I was always a dancer and a choreographer. Uh, always with a funny sensibility about that stuff too. Um, and then got into dance that became a bit of circus and, 
you know, you start in postmodern dance or whatever, you do start speaking and doing all this stuff. I was a gymnast when I was a little kid. Okay. So then started doing more and more circus, which got further and further away from dance. And I feel like circus then is a big umbrella where you can do kind of anything, you know. Yeah. Um, in the, literally, like, anything's possible, right? It's a circus or impossible. or, um, And then out of that work with a dance company that was circusy and a circus in New York, Tanya Gagné and I formed the Val Val Sisters because we both wrote cheeky songs mm-hmm. and wanted to do more stuff. And we really only started speaking on a microphone by accident. Like, we did we did acrobatics and trapeze. And yes, I th- I've seen some. I think we all, did a burlesque gig together maybe five years ago yeah, or something. Yeah, and it was all yeah. that sort of stuff. But then we really wanted to sing our songs. We thought they were funny. But we hadn't really anticipated that you needed banter in between. Okay. So that just sort of... And I feel like we approached that for the first couple of years just with like, oh, I hope I'm funny tonight. It would like it would be good if something funny comes out. Sure. You know, like, and then I just got... I, I think we both got more interested in that. And then we've been doing the Vava Sisters for so long that for me, increasingly, that's the that's what I love about the show is like the talking part. I'm yes. Ha- I'm happy to get on a trapeze and do acrobatics, but that really became the part. Like it was a little turning point for me, like at, at stages where you were like, oh, how else, where else would this go? Yes. And I remember... That's quite... A, that's a very organic process, isn't it? Rather yeah. than sort of pushing yourself at a thing, you, you kind yeah. of find that the stuff you're filling in the gaps with... Like, yeah. you, you know, say if someone was in a band, they find they enjoy the banter more than the songs and right. gradually they're a stand-up comedian. Yeah. Right. And I really did... And then I sort of realised that I was thinking about stuff we could say when we weren't in rehearsal and be like, oh, I'll write that down. That'd be funny. And, yeah. You know, and then you sort of go like, oh, that's the bit... And like, I'm not writing down a new trapeze move. Sure. You know? Sure. And... um. And I remember seeing a thing, um, like it's, uh, there was a, a contest in New York, which is the Andy Kaufman Award. Okay, go on, I've never heard of that. Tell me. I mean, I don't know Andy, Andy, Andy Kaufman, Kaufman right? Yeah. So there's this funny night in New York, and you get the Andy Kaufman Award. Um, like Reggie Watts won it. Yes. In fact, yeah, okay. I think he won it the year I, I saw it first. And I went to see it because a friend of mine was up for it, and he's just a weird performance art freak. Hysterical. And I went and I was watching it, and there was a bit of stand-up in it, but mostly it was like a weird mix of a couple elements that were very funny but very weird okay. and very performance arty. And I sort of was like, hang on a minute. Like, Andy Kaufman was a performance artist. He just called himself a comedian. Yeah, right. Okay. And that's part, I think, I was like, how brilliant. Because, like, if he'd been a performance artist, he just would have been in the same Lower East Side you know, closets that yes, we've all been in. Absolutely. But he called himself a comedian and he played comedy clubs, which made him stand out so much from the average stand up at the time. And it was just like, what a brilliant comedian because he made, took everyone for cookies. Yeah. Or yeah. just sang that one bit. It's, this is happening more and more. I see this all the time when yeah. people are sidestep into, into comedy from another from world another and thing. comedy just falls over itself and goes, wow, yeah. you've reinvented comedy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I remember, I remember being like, a bit dork, like nerdily going like maybe maybe I'm a comedian maybe that's what we're doing yeah. and I said to Tanya I was like I remember I like emailed her when I got home I was like we're going to call ourselves comedians like I think we're just going to it'll just I think we'll have like more fun and we'll, our gigs will be different and yes. in, in my head that our whole act really changed squarely into a comedy act with other elements um, and so yeah increasingly I feel like my excitement about the Vow Vows is still like structure and, and jokes and, and writing the jokes and stuff for that show. 
Um, that said, I still feel quite protected by character and a duo and and all the elements of that show. So that even though there's still wigs and a bit yes. of character yes. in this show and there are other elements, it really did feel very different. Like I knew I was writing and remembering and performing an hour of comedy by myself with a microphone. I was like, then I think this is stand-up for the most part. So this is Adrian. As you can hear, she is incredibly articulate and switched on and has an enormous passion and a huge comic vocabulary. Uh, she's obviously had a fascinating journey creating this show, very organically, as you heard, and she's managed to tread her own path in such a joyously brave and exciting way. Uh, we're going to talk more about vulnerability, about how she made the show, about the pressure on her to become some sort of spokesperson. Uh, and throughout it all, I'm sure you'll agree, she is so clued up about comedy and coming from an angle and from an experience that is so different to the vast majority of other acts. She's very, very passionate about Adrian. I believe if you've not seen the show, she is doing it once or twice more in Edinburgh. Um, uh, she maybe says so on the podcast. I can't remember it. I haven't listened to it for the last few days. Um, but uh, maybe she mentioned it. Do look out for her. Uh, Adrian Truscott at, uh, I think she's doing it as a one-off maybe in a large venue. Uh, and of course, the venue that we refer to in the show is uh uh, Bob and Misbehaves Bookshop uh, on the Heroes of Fringe that uh, Bob Slayer has uh, been largely responsible for um, and where of course I'm going to be uh, interviewing five guests uh, over the course of Edinburgh uh, I, have, I haven't I have had final confirmation from some people so I, there's kind of offers out there that are being mulled over um, so I can't tell you too much about them but we definitely have Phil Kay and we 99% definitely have Sam Simmons um, people have been emailing me and asking what time the shows are. Sorry, which guest is on which show at the moment? I just don't know. So just book tickets for all of them, or, or just turn up if you can get in. So um, that's all for now. We'll get straight back to Adrian. Just two things. Obviously, thank you for your continuing donations to the show. You too can donate any amount. Simply click on the PayPal button at comedianscomedian.com. Feel free to support the show in any way you think is appropriate. A pound a show, or just a one-off donation, or whatever you'd like to give us. Uh, I would really appreciate that and that enables me to take more risks on doing more sorts of projects and it also enables me to pay some of the lovely people that help me um, uh, yeah I've said as much as I need to about that you know it's there I don't like to bang on about it any more than I feel is necessary thank you as well for all the love for uh, Luke Heggie Jared Christmas and Michelle Acourt's episodes plenty more exciting ones to come I'm zipping off to interview Andy Zaltzman in just a few hours I can't wait for that one huge fan of The Bugle uh, I mean I sort of assume that everyone already knows about it but do search The Bugle now what does he call it Andy can never get it right on the show I think it's thebugle-podcast.com if not, just Google The Bugle. It's one of my favourite podcasts of all time. Next week's show is going to be with the brilliant Andy Zaltzman. And tomorrow I'm interviewing Amr Rahman, who I thought was just sensational at Soho uh, a couple of weeks ago. So I will also be back with some recommendations of Edinburgh shows that you should watch out for at the Fringe this year. So lots of stuff to come. Tweet me at ComComPod. Email me info at comedianscomedian.com. Now let's get back to Adrian Trust. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Scott. Do you feel vulnerable on stage when you're trying to get a laugh? Or do you, because you seem so powerful last night in the show and I want to talk about that in, in reference to your nudity your partial or total nudity during yeah. well no never total but your yeah. you know um the 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 less frequently imagined half of the body if you describe <laughs> someone as partially nude right. um but I want to talk to you about um about vulnerability because you seem very powerful you burst on stage you've got big visual gags and you know big music stuff and you're constantly drinking gin and tonics throughout the show which I yeah. assume are real and you're actually drinking That's gin and tonics right. throughout the show right. um do you did you feel with the vow vows did you ever have moments when you're going oh Christ this is this isn't working because even when I saw you, you years ago as, mm. as the duo, you seem to be so, your, your personas were so sort of brash and confident and we're circus performers. It's, the, it's almost that thing of like, when I, was, uh, when I was doing circus stuff myself to yep. a limited degree that I did it, I didn't feel nervous about it because it's right. a trick. It's a spectacle. Yeah. They go, bang, they see it. You can actually do five balls or whatever it is. And they go, yeah. wow, you can do that. And it's very different. I find it very different and much more vulnerable to be on stage going, come on, you fuckers, laugh at my joke. Yeah. Where do you stand on that? Did you did you find it? Well, do you find it scary or vulnerable when yes. you're trying to do comedy as opposed to circus? Yes, for a few reasons. Like I feel, um, I mean, that's what I mean when I say it felt very different when I realized I was doing a solo show of comedy because I did feel like it, this isn't an act. It, like even though it's a thing, it's my name, Adrian Truscott, and certainly when I was doing little bits to build up to this show, I was like, I'm walking out on stage in my jeans. And they just said Adrian Truscott, like that feels very different. I also feel like part of the fun of the Vava sisters was always that like, they didn't expect us to be funny. So you have that, like that, what a huge leap you get ahead of the audience. Cause they just think there's gonna be like some sure. burlesque ladies doing a fabulous trick or something. And then they turn out to be super cheeky and you know, irreverent and funny. And that's like the element of surprise, whereas I feel like we all know when it's like, next up, we got Adrian Truscott, the whole audience is like, oh yeah, I know what you're going to... Yes, you okay. Know. So yes. that's way scarier to me. But or, and it's, but it's also thrilling. Um, and, I, and I feel like it, to me, it feels like it ups the stakes in a way that makes you work harder because you're like, no, they know you're going to try to be funny, so you really have to be. Otherwise, it's all a disaster. Um, but... So there is that vulnerability, but I'd say for me, 
the vulnerability comes from them knowing that I'm going to come out, that we all know, me and the audience, the whole contract is I am going to try and make you laugh and you could withhold that from me. Like, that's all my job is. That feels vulnerable. Um, and the fact that, you know, there's, there's less layers potentially. Like when I do do a spot that doesn't have a, a wig or something, that feels more vulnerable. Um, the nudity doesn't feel vulnerable. I was going to say, I, it seemed to me that the nudity made you incredibly powerful. I, yeah, I, I often get asked that question. Um, I don't think, I mean, the Vava sisters run around naked all the time. I run around naked since I was a, a kid. Like I did that as a joke at home when I was little. Um, so I've always found it like brilliant and ridiculous and funny to be, there's always potential for that to be kind of ridiculous and funny nudity. Um, and I don't think someone like, you know, I don't think only somebody as comfortable as I am would decide to do a comedy show with their pants off. Yes. And there's certainly other people who do it. Sure. You know, I think mostly men that I know. Or yes. Comics that I, I was thinking, actually, it reminded me of uh, seeing Petra Massey in Spy Monkey, you know, yep. getting spun around uh, the audience naked. Yeah. And, uh, and I think of you in the sort of, in the, the tradition of, strong, sexy, funny, dirty circus women like Petra and Amy Saunders misbehave. Right. You know, who, who kind of, who, I think there's something about seeing you walk on stage with no pants on. Yeah. Is, is just such a statement in terms of what well, I'm here, we'd, we'd all better get used to this. Yeah. And it actually gives you, it elevates you yeah. to, to a, you know, I don't know whether, whether it's particularly because I'm a man, but it's very confronting for a guy to have a woman do that. And suddenly I'm thinking, is anyone going to, can I look? Is anyone going to be looking at me looking? <laughs> right, do you know what right. I mean? I sort of feel like the gaze right. is reversed completely. Right. Well, and that's, that's to me, that's what's funny to me is because the first um, impulse to question that I've always received from interviewers are like, do you feel vulnerable on stage? And I could, I can understand it could be the combination of material and nudity and everything, but I'm like, Oh, it's, it's absolutely the opposite. Yeah. I'm completely comfortable and I made the choice to do it. And I have a microphone and I'm on stage. Whereas the faces that I see out in the audience for men and women who don't know sometimes where to look as well as the ones who know exactly where to look. And that's why they came, you know? Um, and I don't know what they hear. Yeah. Uh, but that whole, and that was one of the really fun things about doing it at the bookshop in Edinburgh because I, I didn't know that space till I got there. And then I got there and I was like, fuck, this is really intimate, like really intimate. Yeah. Okay. And there were no lights, like there were no theatrical lights. It was just a light switch. Um, so there's a little bit of lighting, but basically we were all crammed in a room. The furthest I could get away from the front row was about a foot and a half. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And every, and so, and I could, and it only sat about 30 people and basically the lights were on. So I could see everybody. They, like they knew there was no like back table in the corner option for anybody. So I could see everybody in there. It was really crowded. So everyone could see everybody else. So there was no way for any of us to sort of, you know, recede back into a darkened corner if we felt uncomfortable. Sure which at first was quite confronting for me and for everybody, but then I felt like it really became a powerful element of that experience. It, it, walking away from the theatre last night with Nish Kumar, yeah. our friend, friend of the show, um, 
he said something that I really kind of went, oh, that's a really good kind of uh, angle on which to view the show. He said, oh, no, it's punk rock. It's punk. Mm. Do you know what I mean? This show is yeah. like, here's three chords, now form a band. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. it has, it's like, I've got all this stuff, there it all is, deal with that. Yeah. And I thought that was, uh, do, you, do, you, do you agree with that? Mm. Do you think it has that kind of aesthetic? Yeah. Because I wonder about... Um, the difference in experience for you as a performer from working in a free fringe venue, not just a free fringe venue, but one run by Bob Slayer. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like a dirty, gritty free fringe right. venue. Um, and the fact that you're doing a punk show where, as you were saying, you know, you're, you were thinking, fuck, what's the next bit? Am I it's still me for an hour? You know, right. and the fact that you from that situation have then achieved this incredible critical mass you were getting four and five star reviews mm. who were saying this is bold and important and has to be seen and now you're now you're doing art centers yes and places like that <laughs> what's that like what's that like in terms of where you were coming from and uh... um well in doing the bookshop and like i didn't it, that all happened really quickly like i sort of i did a bunch of spots touring in australia touring vow vows and i was just doing these solo spots and then I kind of got like, fuck, I need to do this in Edinburgh this year. Like, this is topical, and it's going to have a shelf life. And if I wait a year, it's not going to, you know. Uh, and so I, I was sort of talking with Amy. I was like, we got to do this. I was like, she's like, yeah, you got to take it this year. And it was close to deadline. She's like, I think I know the perfect place for you. I think you should do it at this bookshop. And she was meant to be there before she broke her foot. And and we got, and it all happened really quickly. But I feel like she really knew. I talked to her about the show a lot, and she was really clear in her Amy way mm. of like that's how this should go down mm-hmm. this time and I was really excited to make it free I was really ex- I, I mean I didn't I hadn't had any discussions with any of the big houses the sure. big four anyway um, I wasn't dying to work with any of them I'd, I'd been having my own politics about how that whole system works so I got it all sort of coalesced in a very punky um, aesthetic that I have regardless of, you know, whether I'm in a wig or not, or mm-hmm. like, you know, a leather jacket or whatever sure. anybody thinks punk look, looks like sure, these days. Sure. So I did feel like, oh, this is going to be great. It's going to be so underground. It's going to be free. I'm going to make a poster that's going to make any old person maybe walk in for mm-hmm. free at 10 o'clock with a few drinks in them to see at least for five minutes what the hell's going on. Um, so it all worked in my favor to get people in for free and and then it got good word of mouth so it got this other energy of like I gotta get in I gotta get in and I yeah. can't get in because it's free and they lined up and I didn't get there in time yeah. and all that stuff um, and I think that became it like the engine of like what an underdog show it was because it seemed like such a bad idea and the preview press I got from people um, like Steve Bennett from Chortle listed me as like the number one of the 10 things he did not want to go see. Yeah. Yeah. God, I remember that. Yes, he does like a trawl through of like, oh, Oh, this this sounds like a lot of fringy bullshit. Yeah, Yeah. right. And it was like, is it any wonder she's doing the free fringe and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, right. Which I was like, actually, I've been in the game a while and that's exactly what I was hoping would happen. Yeah, right. And he was good enough to come along afterwards and review it too. But... So I, it did have that sort of like, this sounds terrible. Oh, it's free. Oh, it might be shit, but it's a crazy idea. And then that all had all the right sneaky energy for me, too. Like, that was as fun as just doing the show to me. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and just, like, causing a bit of trouble like that. 
And I have had that thought since I've done it now after I, you know, wonderfully received accolades. Like, oh, now, it was almost like the difference of doing comedy by accident because really you thought it was a circus act to doing stand-up. It's like, yes. this was an underdog show where you're like, if she even just pulls it off, she's done it. But if she pulls it off really well, wow, look. But now it's like she's pulled it off and it has five stars, so I feel like audiences come in with a different expectation Absolutely. to live up to. So I, And that sometimes, t- and it does take a bit of the grit, like to be san- a sanctioned thing, like this is yes. good. Isn't yes. quite, I'll be honest, You're not used not to being sanctioned. No, it's right. It's not as fun as being like, fuck you, I'm going to do this show. I, I, you know, I know I did a good job on it. Who cares what you think? Come in, kind of thing. And... Um, could you have envisaged, just on that note, could you have envisaged doing it at the bookshop and getting not many people in and it not taking off and you still coming away satisfied that, yep, I said what I wanted to say? Yes. I, that said, I did not think it would be a fun or easy month if I was getting five and seven people in a night and doing that show. Maybe it would have turned into this whole other thing in those kind of shows where they're like, I'm doing a show in a bedroom and there's a maximum of five people in the audience. Yeah. Like, maybe I could have turned it into that. But that wasn't what I... Like, what, the way we were saying the other night, like, I, I don't want to curate the audience that comes to this show. Like, it's yes. so much more fun if there are, you know, couples and the weird single guys who just came to stare at a naked lady and then young feminist women who are not sure if I'm like yes. going down the right road or not. Yes. And then comics who are like, you know, is she going to be the bore that's like, oh, no, we can't joke uh, rape. So for me, it's more fun when the possibility of all those people are, you know, being in the room is there. As opposed to doing, um, oddly enough, because I keep getting called out on this by people, this show isn't as fun for me to do at something like, say, a weekend of feminist performance art. I love feminist performance art. I'm a feminist and a performance artist, and I'm not ever one of those people that's like, I wouldn't so much say I'm a feminist. <laughs> that, I have no fucking time yeah. for that. And a lot of people, when I say, I, I don't want to, I don't want, I want this show as much as I can understood as comedy and in, performed in comedy contexts. Um, as opposed to that, and people have said, like, well, what's the problem? Are you not a feminist? I'm like, no, but I'm a, a comedian. So I'd like to, like, this is a comedy show, first and foremost, for me. And um, as well as um, a comedy club is a, more in- I mean, is a more interesting place to do this show than a yeah. hallowed hall yeah. of people who are like, yeah, I know. I've been thinking this for years. You know. Sure. You know, sometimes friends of mine, male or female, will come to the show and they'll notice, like, oh, that weird guy that was sitting by himself. Yeah. And they'll be like, oh, so, like, oh, God, how's she going to do that? Oh, and I'm just, and I always say, like, they're always there. I've been expecting them. Like, half the time I want to be like, welcome, gentlemen. I've been expecting you. And yes. You, and you are 100% welcome, as is everyone. Yes, um, because why, why, why preach to the converted? Yeah. And, uh, and then, and, I, and ideally, I'm not even preaching. Right? I was about to, yeah, go short. Because I, I get that a lot, too, of like, do you think you're changing? I'm like, yep, I'm, my tour's almost over, and I reckon rape will be over, too. Yeah, so on sure. to the next thing. Uh, but I got a review while I was here in London, 
and it was a very it was four stars it was a positive review it was a well you know it was an intelligent review um, she seemed to get a lot of stuff but then she put that little tagline on that said it's not for everyone and I was like it is actually I really wanted to call her and be like in case you were wondering I definitely made this show for everyone who like who is who are you pretending you know is like yeah who like, are you protecting who are you protecting why are you limiting my audience when I can promise you I fucking made it for everyone not and not to preach I just made I know I made it for everyone and for myself and most artists do. And, like, reviewers say that a lot. When, when a show's got some element of sexuality or nudity or, you know, goes too far. And then they start this weird cura- curation of an audience. And, like, somebody reads that and goes, oh, it's not for me. Yes. It's almost like a code for, oh, I'm, I'm everyone. I'm one of the everyone's it's Right, not and for. then you're yeah. like, and it's like, it's crazy elitist. And if there's one thing comedy isn't, it's elitist. Like, that's one of the brilliant things about it, right? Is that you don't have to go to the theater to see. Like, it's a, it's a every person's art form. And, and, uh, and then here's this person going, it's not for everyone. And I'm just like, who, who do you, th- are you and I the people you mean? We get, like, we're smart enough to get it, but those ones over there won't. It's not for them because they're too prudish or they're too unsophisticated. Or, And it's a disclaimer. And it's also going, look, I get it, and I think it's great, but that's me, and I know. And yeah. But if you don't, I don't yeah. want you to judge my opinion either. Sure, sure. So that whole thing of, like, that it's is, not That's for a really interesting, actually. I was just like, it is for everyone. And all art is, like, then I get, like, a nerd, and I'm like, all art and all comedy is for everybody. What the fuck? <laughs> but so anyway that that's my sort of philosophical feeling about audiences and why I push really hard to not do it at the theater and do it at the pub or like obviously Steve Locke at Soho's like you're going to be in the downstairs room like we want to put you in the comedy room yeah. with the bar and the tables and stuff and even when I did Melbourne comedy I think I was the only international artist that they brought over that wasn't in the town hall and I was in the um, Portland in the room with the stripper pole. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Which I did sort of say, I was like, one thing I know about this show is like the more sort of uh, mainstream and loose the venue is, the more interesting the show is. Like, and you can't treat it with kid gloves. Like, if you treat it like, oh, we better put this one over here, then the audience feels like, oh gosh, should we? Yes. Should we look? Should we listen? You know, should we even go? So I, I, that feels like that's kind of my main struggle is to be like, it's a comedy show, it's a comedy show, and it should be at the comedy thing or the pub or the, you know, and that's when I have the most fun with it. What do you think, what, I'm interested in the dynamic between you saying what you want to say about the subject matter yeah. and the show itself speaking. I'm interested in the difference between, if you like, your manifesto. Like, say with the Tosh incident. Yeah. You, you explain what that incident was. Yeah. And you riff on it. You don't... It's, it's not didactic. You don't say, and I think this. Right. And, and was there a... You, were there bits that you were writing in the show where you said... Where you had to kind of pull back from saying explicitly what you thought... I can say no because my brain doesn't work like that, which makes me feel like that's why you know you're a comedian when you always see 
that weird fucked up like inverse of the logic of something or yes you know what I mean like anytime I heard like the anytime I heard that stuff my next thought was I guess I don't know if it's like funny but like it went straight to satire to satirizing yes. that logic or that moment okay um Another thing I feel like sometimes I struggle with, because I knew making the show, like, I know my, my own twisted sense of humor and how I'm going to deal with, with writing comedy about this dark and very serious subject matter. And I always knew, like, this show has to be so light on its feet. I just have to be having a ball. Yeah. Or I don't, or nobody will be able to listen to any of the weird shit that I'm saying. So I made all these choices with music, like the top of the show, and to be super silly yeah. and and you know be be who I am actually, which is very approachable and silly and flirty and friendly. And um, but I knew I had to like there can't be a lot of gaps in this show for people to think for too long. Like I have to kind of yes. have fun music, and the music should be loud so you can't realize you're. Looking why is at that? The, why is that? Because what? Because they'd realize what? I just think that it's a show that. Sorry, I'm just going to apologise to the listener at this point for the fact that someone is apparently breaking or building something outside. Been, I don't know how much of that's going to come out on the recording. It's but, uh, been every day. I didn't think about that. Yeah, no problem at all. That's cool. Um, so yeah, so you you need to you you said you you don't want to give them pause to think until later. Like yeah. I think there's a lot to think about in the show, and I think the trick that I keep working on as I do it is to keep it 50 minutes of as much laughter as possible and surprises and fun. Yes. And then I often find people leave and walk home and then I get the email that's like, I thought about your show all day. Or, you know, like, and that's a, yes. a beautiful thing. But okay. I don't want them like that. I don't, you know, you don't want all those triggers happening in the room. Mm-hmm. You want to keep it, like, light. And I feel like it's my job. If yeah. I've asked them in, and I'm going to do that, it's absolutely my job as the entertainer or the comedian to keep it as fun as possible and to entertain yes. them for an hour, um, and to and to have taken care of their discomfort, so that when the tension builds, I have to deliver a joke to be yeah. like, "It's okay, oh phew," and then you can build it again. But you know, that's that's my job for that hour that they're there. All my all my thoughts about it were. Like, I, I, I never had to worry that I was just going to say what was on my mind. Sure. That wasn't going to be wrapped up in some kind of structure, joke, gotcha. or satire. When I get interviewed sometimes, I get worried because I, may, I took such pains to bring the, the fun, silly yes. part of myself to the show. Yes. But I don't... Like, if you just want to talk to me about rape culture, not in my show, it, I'll get real fucking serious. Sure. And angry about it. But my show's not. But I don't want anyone to read an interview and be like, oh, she sounds pissed. Yes, okay. Because that's not fun. Yes, sure, sure. And I wouldn't use, like, I don't, if I wanted to do that, then I'd work at a rape crisis center and I'd lecture or I'd work in a, you know. That's a really smart approach. And yeah. it's really different. And sometimes I get like, oh, I think that, like that interview wasn't, was about that and we got into some really intense territory and it's a really serious topic. Sure. I have to say I was expecting there to be more intense territory in the show. Mm-hmm. I was expecting there to be and I don't, I think that's that's why I asked that question about the critical reception. I think because I know I you know I, I knew that it had happened at Edinburgh and was in right. the bookshop and then I when it came here I sort of feel like those reviews and those glowing, you know, the people 
people who reviewers who seem to me to pretty much not enjoy comedy very much went bananas for the show mm-hmm. and so I suppose because of that framework I was expecting something less punk high speed mm-hmm. fun light in your face if yeah. you can call it light yeah. um, and I was expecting more kind of um, dissection or critical kind of theory or something about yeah. it like, so when you, you use the example of the, the senator for example who made this absurd comment about legitimate rape right. you can do something with that and go this is you know we, we are all agreed no one in that room yeah. disagrees with you right. when you do the stuff about the Daniel Tosh incident um, it seems less clear cut because particularly when you refer to said Pat Oswalt and Louis C.K. Yeah. And, and other comedians kind of coming out in defence of him, it seems like there's less, it's less clear cut. Yeah. Do you feel that? Do you sense that in the audience? That, yeah. that like with the, with the duck bit, yeah. you know, they're going, yep, we're all on board. Yeah. And then with the, you know, you've got photos of some of the sort of sacred cows, if you like, of, yeah. of comedy yeah. on stage. I mean, you had a photo of Jimmy Carr you didn't really refer to Jimmy Carr. Right. You just sort of, his face was in it somehow. Yeah. Do you... Like, it was as long as they have a break jokes, they get to be up there. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But, but you're not, you're not kind of... Skewering him. Skewering him or you're not sort of challenging him in detail. Mm-hmm. So I just wondered, um, and I do think, as you know, in terms of your interviewing, I think it's very smart to let the work speak for itself in that. But I did come away from it going, what do you think of Daniel Tosh? What do you think right. of Pat Oswalt defending that incident? Right. Well, and that's part of what I like about that section, because in, in the same way that it starts with the Carlin, I feel like it kind of sets the audience up to like, does she agree with Carlin? Or is she saying he's an asshole? Sure. And... Um, yeah, I absolutely. Do, I do yeah. agree with Carlin. Yeah. You can joke about anything. Um, but so I bring that up about that they came to his defense because I... And so I think that, like, Louis C.K. has, you know, he has this whole little section on rape that goes from one thing to another to another, and I think it's fantastic. Um, and there's other people out there, male and female comics, who have great jokes about rape. Um, and then some of those guys don't. But I thought... In the moment that Tosh did that thing, they all came out in defense of him, and their immediate thing was just like, oh, like it felt very boys clubby. Sure. Nobody asked any women to comment on it. Like all the brilliant female comedians out there, at least in the American response that I witnessed and kept tabs on, very few women were asked, female comedians were asked, and the boys did seem to come out. Just like, whoa, 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 you can't, you can't, you can't censor a comedian. Come on, back off Tosh, man. You get, what, what's next? Man, we can't talk about this. Now we can't, he's, sure. he's comedy. It's got to be big and bold and crazy. Um, which I agree with. So I do think that you shouldn't censor, I don't think you should censor anybody. Um, but I found it funny that they were like, but seriously, after all this kerfuffle and all this emotion, you, like, whoever you two are, Patton and Louie, whatever, sitting in a room, did you find it funny? Like, not offensive enough sure. or not. Did you laugh? Like, did you really, was it proper, a good, witty comeback? Because sure. really that's what you judge each other on, right? And I just felt like in that way it was a very sort of uh, reactionary response and didactic and, um, and a bit cowardly. Okay. And a bit like, come on, come on, come on, back off Tosh. Sure. Um, 
but I do believe what they were saying is true. Okay. That he sh- he should be able to say what anybody should be able yeah. to say whatever they want. Up to, you know, but certainly in the confines of like, is comedy going to be funny if everyone starts worrying about what they're saying? Probably not. Not for too long. But and I would just I don't think I don't like Daniel Tosh at all. Mm-hmm. But I and I didn't really know who he was until then. He wasn't someone I bothered with. Um, and I certainly didn't judge him just on that joke. I watched a lot of his stuff after that, and I was like, oh, no, he actually just seems like a prick. I don't like his comedy. It's arrogant. It's, yeah, I just don't like him. Um, whereas, like, Pat Oswalt and Louis C.K. and Doug Stanhope, I, like, I do love those guys. Mm. Um, and for me, like, yeah, don't censor Tosh, because I just assume, I mean, I know Tosh has an audience that loves him. I'm not one of them, but I... I just assume hear what an idiot has to say and let him be an idiot out loud. That's my feeling about Tosh. I also think like comedy's changing a lot and, and it's getting smarter and smarter. It might also have a section that's getting dumber and dumber, but I think yeah. in general it's getting smarter and smarter. And if you keep doing material that is supposed to be edgy because it's that and it's offensive and you're not really thinking it through... I reckon eventually you're just sowing the seeds of your own irrelevance. And and pretty soon you'll just be a shit comic while everyone else is like really deconstructing comedy and politics yeah. and, gen- and doing all you, that stuff. You do get the impression that 10 years ago someone could be, hey, I'm edgy, and, and no one would really challenge them on it. Yeah. And now there's an incredible mechanism with you know the internet and the fact that far more women are now performing comedy. Yeah. And I mean not just sort of women, you know, but in terms of race or what have you, any contentious topic. If you're going to be edgy, you absolutely have to be able to argue your defence. Yeah. And that certainly wasn't true 10, 20 years ago. Yeah. I don't think. Or some, for some right. people, you know, Lenny or Bruce. It gets be... out, and if somebody's like, "Did you hear he said that?" and all of a sudden it's an international conversation. Sure. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, and, and and sort of terrifying too. Like when you do, as people that do just make the odd mistake or get you know something they say gets taken out of turn, and suddenly like you know, with with one eye on that international audience, um, when you were making the show, did you ever feel that you went too far? Did you cut anything? Did you did you try stuff and go, oh, that really makes my point, but. People, I'm not selling it right, or people aren't buying it, or or this is that's a step too far. Is that did you not not censor yourself necessarily? But were there? Can you give us an example of something that you cut from the show? I'll, I'll give it, you an example of something that I'm still doing and still isn't working. Go on, go on, <laughs> fascinating, great. Go on. Um, the bit the, at the end of the duck thing. So the whole the whole phrase legitimate rape. Um. Yes, if you can just explain it for 30 right, so seconds it, so that we know what we're talking It's a phrase that an American senator used in a conversation that was about abortion, which is a much bigger political like uh, voting issue in the States than rape. And the thing that they're trying to go with is like, you can't get an abortion except in cases of rape and incest. That's the only way. And then his point was, however, if you get pregnant from a rape, I don't think we can really legitimately call it rape. That's just, not legitimate rape. Yeah. And his unbelievable implication is that somehow, like your soft, lovey-dovey, maternal lady body, if it welcomed the rape sperm enough to work and make a baby, it probably wasn't really rape. You probably sort of... I sure. mean, it's just... Right, yeah. so... You know, I, I keep thinking there's some word that's not funny. It's like the the little layer right after total incredulity 
that you're like, I gotta find this funny or I'm gonna jump off a bridge if the world works like this or something. But anyway, so in talking about legitimate rape, I, I take it through this um, weird logic of um, that would only be true, or like they, they're, the senator's trying to explain this biological logic in terms of ducks and ducks gang rape and then they sometimes get pregnant and but that's only because they've let it into their real vagina not the decoy vaginas it's so crazy and then there's this other senator that jumped on top of that and was like not only is that probably not really rape but you really shouldn't have you should love that little rape baby because it's a gift from god it's sort of a miracle and all babies are gifts from god like it's just all that right-wing religious american madness and so i keep trying to do this line of like oh because only god would make maybe only god is powerful enough to have a rape turn into a pregnancy which means it wasn't really a rape which means you have a rape baby in you which is brilliant because you're like chosen by god it's like a compliment and now you're this vessel yeah for it's pursuing that logic i'm trying to pursue that logic to the ridiculous extreme yeah wherein i get all the way around to like and you probably can't meet your rapist but that's okay because you can see his son because you'll have the baby because you didn't get to and that somehow at the end of it the only way that you could have gotten rid of the baby was if way back at the beginning the rapist was your dad yeah and i that's probably the closest i've like Every once in a while, I do it in the right way that it comes out, and there's, if not a laugh, a sort of incredulity gasp, like a, yes. oh, fuck, that's true, like, and that sort of, yeah. I don't know if the sound can be called a laugh, but it's the, like, the release of, like, oh, my God, that's fucking true. How, makes no sense. Yes. Um, yes. But I, I can't it, seem to write it out. Like, I can't work it out. I, I go around in my head going through it from... This makes sense to, to me. It's satisfying. And trying to be like, yeah. do I need to say this bit first and this bit? So, in that way, do, do you think it's simply that there that it's such it's such a big topic? It's such an awful thing to think yeah. about that that's getting in the way of us laughing at what would otherwise be the satisfying revolu- resolution of her premise. Yes, but I feel like then it becomes a thing where you become like the obsessive comedian, and you're like, I know that's I know that's allowed to be in the show. It is going too far. But comedy does sometimes, and then it just becomes about the right, like the rewrite. No, fuck, no rewrite. Yeah. No, it, ah, if that word's there, and that thing where you start to obsess over that one bit that you know could work but isn't working yet, and you keep trying it in all these little micro changes. When you talk about the writing and the rewriting, what sort of environments did you write this show in? Did you write it on your own in a room with a laptop? Did you write it whilst thinking about it when you were travelling? What, what did it look like for I you? I did a lot of it on my bike. Okay. A weird, like, I ride my bike around New York or wherever I'm on tour a lot, and I find it, like, and I wear headphones and listen to music while I ride, which isn't very safe. Um, and I, for some reason... Constantly on the edge. I think it's... <laughs> always pushing it. Uh... I think there's something for me about being real physical, but not having, not like in a circus way where you have to be paying attention to it. That lets my mind go somewhere else and then it starts working on its own. Um, so I know I do a lot of my rehearsing in my head like that. And then uh, because I'm not very disciplined rehearser, then I have to be like, Adrian, okay, you can do the dishes and then one more email and then turn off the music and stand up and start at the beginning of your show or what you think is. Um, and then, and this was true with the Vavos. Stand up and say it out loud in yeah. rehearsal. Yeah, okay. Yeah, 
and pretend the couches are the audience. Yeah. Um, I'm glad. Which is I'm always, so embarrassing. I'm always gratified when people <laughs> say they do that. I think I was, I do that. And uh, I said, think I said, I think it was Rod Gilbert. And he properly laughed at me when I had said in an interview that I do that. And he just laughed me out of the room. Um, and I will go back I totally and write do it down yes, so yeah, I don't absolutely. forget it. Or it makes, it's a different physical state mid-thing. when you're actually saying it. Yeah, and I have to be, and I, I have to remember this on stage. I, I notice when I do shows that I think are less fun and less funny, it's because I've often sort of gotten back on my heels and don't stay like in some goofy physical vocabulary yeah. while I'm on stage. But, um, but yeah, I would say that's how I write is like, you know, like I'll be on my bike or I'll be somewhere and then, um, write down enough ideas to re- like remember them write them down so I don't forget them and then eventually get on my feet and do a really great show for the empty living room yeah <laughs> and then and then you realize like and then it changes when you do that and then that seems because it feels closer to live because you're in the because I feel like I I sit like god help me if anyone overhears it like if I don't realize my roommate's home and then I'm like oh god no yeah. it's but, worse I sometimes <laughs> find myself sitting down and writing rather than doing the getting up and walking around and performing it which right. I know is more creative and more just better for me it works it's yeah. so horrible it's so embarrassing yeah. just no one's watching you but you but you're embarrassed for yourself yeah. I'll end up going no I'm gonna do some sit down at the laptop yeah, writing today to it'll be less myself. good but I can't you know I can't make myself. myself another yeah second. yeah um but that yeah that's I guess that's how I do it I, I do feel like there's a there's an equal match of like putting the work in but sometimes that's just so that you've even if nothing comes of that bit like the writing you're like eh. but I often find that like an hour later when I don't think I'm thinking about it anymore something c- comes out of having done that work and just pops up in your brain and you're like oh that's the work like that's the order or you know and then sometimes that just doesn't happen until you do it 15 times mediocrely in front of paying customers and then finally you're like oh <laughs> but you- I, yeah so I haven't censored that bit because I think it's going too far. Yes. But I sometimes I don't say it, depending on how I'm doing or yes, if, okay. I, if I can tell the audience doesn't want to hear it. But I also do the opposite. Like, when I propose, and of course, like, the reason that I do the show in shoes and a shirt and no pants is because that's the site of the problem, right? That's the asking for it site. And I would never do this show naked naked because it's not about my tits. And and I think that's it. Yeah, you know? sure. And I think it's a ridiculous outfit. I mean, yeah. it's a, you know, it's not sexy. To just it's a, it's weird. But so when I put out there, like, oh my god, how is this show going to end? Think about it, because yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah. Like, here are my gin and tonics, and here's my pussy, and here's a ooh. yeah. Um, and of course, that's confronting, and it's meant to be. Um, and sometimes it just gets a laugh, and I can ride it out and be like, I know, right? It's a lot to yeah. think about, and kind of play that like that. But sometimes I'll go, when I feel them be quiet, I go worse and go like, I know, I know. But think about it. It wouldn't be the first time that happened in a room full of people and no one did anything. Anyway, and like, that's a horror, like, it's very yeah. true. And it, and on some level, it is a possibility. It's probably not going to go that way, but it is sort of a remote possibility on any given night or in any given room. So sometimes... I go too far because I already know I went too far. And then I go further. I don't know why. 
<laughs> but because those are those are the moments where I'm the closest to saying just what I want to say, not satirizing. Yes. Yes. Those moments when you know you've gone too far. I just want to sort of pass that. Those, the moments when you know you've gone too far and so you go further are the most satisfying moments for you because you're like, this is me actually doing what I set out to do. I, they're not the most satisfying. I just would say in some ways, those are the moments where I more nakedly back off from the comedy of it and I'm just saying thoughts I've actually had about this really serious topic and how crazy it operates in the world without making sure I'm delivering a joke sure. as my way to give that information over. But I don't do that much because I am more interested in finding ways to not joke about rape, but satirize how we think about it in this show. Do you feel, I mentioned satisfied, and it's not the right word in that context, but do you, are you, do you feel once you've got the show out, do you go, ha, ah, done it, that's what I meant to say? Does it, does it work? Does it tick yeah. the boxes of this is the piece I wanted to make? Yes. So on an individual night, do you feel, I suppose, I suppose approaching this, as I always do from my own kind of thing, if I, if I write a show that says a particular way that I'm feeling, I, I end up slightly fixing my life because I've, I've got that stuff out. Yeah. And now I can move on and actually I'm not so preoccupied anymore. Yes. Do you feel, obviously you said before, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not thinking, I'm going to finish the run and rape will no longer be an issue. Right. <laughs> Are you satisfied that you've said enough about it that you wanted to say? Yeah. I mean, there's, certainly there's more to say, but I feel like, like when people say, like, some people are like, it must be a hard show to do sometimes though. Or like, they, and I'm just like, oh no, it's, I yeah. feel. It's not the vagina feel, monologues. It's not like yeah. you're kind of contacting an inner, yeah. an inner pain. Or and is I it? feel is there... like, well, I, it brings me a lot of pain to think about that stuff. And that that happens in the world. And here I'll be real serious because I know all this shit now. Every two minutes in America, somebody's sexually assaulted. I've clocked that. So, oh, so in my 50 minute show, 25 people were assaulted. You know, that's a crazy thing to think about. And that certainly makes me feel sad and feel pain. But the experience of doing the show and getting to be on stage with a microphone, doing something I love, making people laugh about something I do think a lot about and care a lot about and get to say my version of it feels totally satisfying. But I don't think it would feel that satisfying if I was just like, thanks for gathering at the conference today. And this is what's fucked up. You know, it's the combination of, of doing it. And, and I can definitely say, of like, in the initial little moments of being like, is this the worst idea ever? Or could it work? The fact that, at least up to date, it has worked. That, like, the thing I thought might be interesting turned out interesting. That feels really satisfying. And doing the show for an audience that seems to get it, hearing certain kinds of laughter from one element in the room making another element in the room kind of go, oh, they all think that's funny? Uh, or, you know, like all those little things are really satisfying. Do you, you refer to yourself during the show as, oh, it's the rape lady at the yeah. rape show. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel that you will be known as the rape lady? Do you know what I mean? Is this yeah. show going to, can you see this show in five years being a millstone around your neck because it's that woman that did the rape show? Yeah. Not, um, not, in a, not that that would be negative connotations to that yeah. other than you know it's the woman that did the show where she fired paint out of her ass or whatever right. you know what I mean it's, it's, right. it's a big extreme enough I know thing. the woman you're talking sure. about sure <laughs> yeah I don't know her name <laughs> we don't know her name we just know what well, she did so yeah. I might just be the rape lady um, no I certainly have thought about that and I 
in some ways I have a feeling my next show will be really absurdist in a different way. Um, I definitely don't want to paint myself into that corner. But I like similar to what you're saying, I was like, I think I got that off my chest. Like that was not only politics that got off my chest, but a project. And I will be interested in a different project on my next go round, whether it's stand up or some other thing. Um, but I, yeah, I do wonder like, yeah, like, well, what is my next show going to be? And I don't think it'll be as, it would not be as explicitly about a thing. It might be all over the shop. And, and, um, but also, like, I remember I, I did an interview with a woman in Australia. And I, you know, like, I am the rape lady. I cannot tell you how many times it's so funny, well, I guess, that I get, you know, like, almost daily I get an email from a friend or someone who's seen the show or heard about the show and they're just like hi just saw this article thought you'd be interested and it's like some horrifying article yeah. and I'm like, oh, no. good morning I sure yep. am and every yep. day and it you know less so have people been like here's a comedian I think you'd love I didn't know who it was you know like yeah and I'm more interested in that in terms of like I saw this and thought of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, being turned on to new uh, comics or, you know, and certainly people have sent me the like, you need to see this comic making this joke about rape. I think it's going to be interesting to you or it might be material. Like, you know, so, but in that way, I am a little bit the rape lady this year. Um, but those assumptions are also some a bit misguided. Because, like, I did this interview with this woman in Australia. She's a wonderful woman, a th- definitely a journalist who calls herself feminist. Um, and she was... A journalist who calls herself feminist. Is that different to being a feminist journalist? No. I, I just wonder no. why that turn of phrase. I, I wonder I, if you Well, were... I think that I wanted to honour her profession. Gotcha. She's a journalist. Yes. She's also a feminist. Yes. Um, uh I... So she was asking me questions, and she was, you know, she was really lovely, very much on my side, and um, and sort of doing like, oh, good, good, I'm so glad you were doing this show, good on you, oh, fuck, if you weren't doing it, what would, you know, and I was sort of like, yeah, yeah, and then she said, you must be learning a lot, she's quite earnest, you must be learning a lot about yourself doing this show, you know, and like, what are you, what's been the most powerful thing, and it was all this sort of to me, a bit coded in, like, a woman using her voice and speaking her truth and that sort of type. And I was like, I don't think this is the answer you were gunning for, but I'm a, it's just pacing. I'm just obsessed with pacing right now. That's all I want to... Like, I'm just trying to get the pacing of the show right. Because if I don't do that, it doesn't work, regardless yeah. of what I'm getting on. That's what this show. woman is learning from this. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, that's what... Like, just so you know, I'm not the rape lady. I'm a performer who does all kinds of performances about all different things, and it's usually funny. And in this one, I'm doing stand-up. And if you're any kind of stand-up, you probably get obsessed with pacing. And so, yeah, so I I just thought, like, that was interesting because I knew that was not the answer she was hoping for. Um, But... And it was, it was as much a revelation to me because she had gotten me where I was really working on the first 15 minutes of the show and figuring out pacing. So, yeah. Just to finish off, you were talking about the, the shelf life of the show and where it travels next. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm trying to get as much work for it 
in the next year, I guess, as I can, because I think it's particularly topical, but I can't be doing the Tosh material two years from now, because it, sure. be, it will have been around. There's no doubt in my mind other stuff will fill in those spaces, and the show could change and morph and continue, but then I become the rape lady with the one stand-up comedy show about rape. And to be honest, like I'm pretty ready to stop talking about it. Yeah. Um, and I, sure. I do have a plan, a dastardly plan perhaps, no, to do um, a one-off in Edinburgh this year that's sort of the like, and that concludes me talking about rape. Yes. I'm not saying I wouldn't do the show after that if it was sure. asked for. I'm not saying it might not be fun to do it in five years and be like, fuck, thought I was done with this. Thought yeah, we okay. covered all this. Yep. But it's not going to be my next show, certainly. And do you have a plan for the next show? Do you know what, you have the inklings of, uh, mm-hmm. can I you think, tell us what it is? Have you got, are you hanging on to it? I think I'm hanging on to it. Not because I like, don't want to sure. give it away, but um, it might be influenced by some of my thoughts and experiences having done this show, but it's not about rape at all. Um, and I think it might be a bit more absurdist. But I don't, I, you know, I think I know how it starts. I think I know what it's called, but I don't know yet for sure. I know what my, I can't say it for, I, I know what my one-off that I want to do in Edinburgh at the bookshop some late night that's just sort of all the material that has come up while I've been doing this show or really weird interactions I've had or responses I've had that are sort of like, oh, they're funny. They're worth having a, you know, like spinning a yarn about, but not for another year. Not like rape too. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Um, so, uh, but that said, I'm trying, you know, I'm meant to, I'm doing a few, I'm trying really hard to tour it in the States because that's the one place I haven't done it. And all the fucking references are American. Um, and that's where, you know, that it's, a huge problem all the stuff I'm addressing in the show it's not that it doesn't happen elsewhere but um, in my heart of hearts I could do it at the Laugh Factory in Hollywood that would be really fun that would be fun um, and I, I kind of am working on that I don't think I, that that's ever going to happen but I'm at least trying to do it in LA a bit and I'm doing a few other cities in the states fingers crossed I'm, I'm chatting with Just for Laughs for this year and then doing a little short run of it back in Edinburgh um, at the bookshop its little home and its seedy punk little home um and then i can't remember what happens after that oh no then i go to darwin festival so it's still going round and round uh and then philadelphia yeah so it's still going a bit and i'll do it up to a point for as long as i can get work until i start either getting bored of it myself or just feeling like um the particular thing i'm saying doesn't need to be said right now like i said it could come back and with your with your next the the sort of nascent ideas of your next show, yeah. do you think it will be? Is is that based? You said absurdist. Is there a burning issue that you want to talk about, like there was with this one? No. And could you? Do you fear that you run the risk of disappointing an audience who want the rape lady to say the next, or whether you know the not even the rape lady, the lady who says the unsayable, yeah, who challenges the norm yeah. that your that you know your profile is such that people go, what's Adrian gonna Ooh, say next? Who's she up. gonna put the boot into? Who's <laughs> what's she gonna not not the boot, yeah, but you no, know what no, I mean? No, who yeah. what 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 big important topic that sets the world on fire is she gonna find a unique voice on this time? Right. Um, and Do you that, feel pressured in that respect? I mean I don't flatter myself that enough people are 
thinking about me to just be like, what's she going to do next? Sure. Or that when they see your name on a poster, like, people will go, oh, yeah, it's that. Right. Yeah. Or like if, you know, if I go back the following year to Edinburgh with my new show um, and get reviewed by the same people, will they be like, oh, it's not nearly as brave and powerful as this show? Sure. And to which my answer would be like, yeah, of course not. Because I'm not just, I'm not talking about that, I'm talking about this. Or I'm just doing some absurdist, weird shit. I feel like I get really turned on by saying the unsayable. So I can't imagine it would be a safe show. Sure. Um, uh, but, oh fuck, it's probably that saw made me forget. <laughs> um, so yeah, I do think there's that sort of sophomore effort problem to be like, oh, it wasn't as political or as poignant. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I'm, oh, I'm t- I guess I won't worry about that. I reckon if I worry about that, whatever I make would be shit. Although I do make a joke to myself because I feel like there's always this, sometimes in interviews, this question of like, and I, I sort of address this in the show of like, well, who's allowed to make what jokes? And like black people can make jokes about black people, but if you're not black and you haven't had that experience, are you, you know, are you an authority enough to joke, to do something as craziest joke about it um so i always feel like there's some people leave my show or an interview being like well well that brings up a whole other thing like why is she making this show Mm -hmm. and is she an authority on this topic Mm -hmm. and so my joke to myself about that is like if people are like was she or wasn't she and then i think like well then my next show should be about murder <laughs> was yeah. she murdered or not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like you don't have to answer that question to do a show about it. Actually, sure. But yeah. Or I'll die on stage, which would be really edgy. What I want, the last thing I wanted to ask you, I wanted to ask you anyway, and I don't want it to feel in any way like it's informed by you having just said that. This yep. is a thing I enjoy asking people, and it's often a bit left field. Yeah. You're traveling the world, yep. working hard, doing shows, doing festivals. Are you happy? Yes. I love, yeah, I love this lifestyle. Um, I'm not home much, and there are people back in New York that aren't that happy that I'm away so much. But I, I feel, like, really lucky that this is my lifestyle and um, that I've worked really hard. And, like, my work with Tanya has been the bulk of that work, that Abbas have worked really hard to make this lifestyle what we do for a living. And it's not that many people that make their weird little art form work out. Um, but uh, I I love it. I just like you go you know you go to all these great cities and then there's everyone you've ever met in the world there within forty eight hours, it, you know. And then you're literally surrounded by clowns and drag queens and comedians. Like I I say that to some when they're like yeah but you must get exhausted and I'm like you could you definitely could but if you remind yourself that you're not going to work from like nine to five it's something you hate and you kind of only work an hour a day. And then afterwards, you see all your favorite people and dance. It's not that tough. It does get exhausting. I'm, I'm more exhausted on this tour going, like, for this long and with Tanya for a while and then doing solo. And I've kind of been on a stage since mid-December nonstop in all sorts of different shows. And I'm, I'm tired. And I don't usually get tired. So, but I'm, not, I'm also not stopping anytime soon. But I'm a little bit of that, like, tired's boring. Let's do something. Thank you. So that was Adrienne.
Thank you so much to her for uh, spending that time with me. Uh, thanks to our mutual friend Stompy, who pretended to be kidnapped in a cupboard uh, shortly after that interview had finished and really made me annoyed that I'd, uh, I'd switched the, uh, the thing off, uh, the recorder off. So thank you also to uh, Olivia Phipps, who logged the episode for me. Uh, this show was co-produced by Nathan Wood. I'm off to interview Andy Zaltzman. Donate if you like. Email me. Tweet me if you like. Uh, recommend some guests and I'll get back to you soon. Oh, last little thing. Um, I just wanted to mention, I don't know if I can do this now, but um, I, I don't know if I can actually participate myself, but it sounds brilliant. I just wanted to mention a show at Edinburgh this year called Laugh Dance. All one word, Laugh Dance. Uh, it's a part of Freestival, which is one of the numerous free fringe uh, uh, organisations and it's going to be on at Cowgate Head during Edinburgh. Let me just put that word in your name, laugh dance. That, as I understand it, is comedians doing stuff while a team of professional dancers interpret their work live on stage with them. Um, maybe I will get to go along and, uh, and and do one little one, a little impro thing. I'm a big fan of contemporary dance. Not that you'd know it. Would you know it? Maybe you'd know it. But, um, but let me just put that word in your head, laugh dance. I'm very excited to see that show. And uh, you should be too. That's all for now. I'm going to go speak to Zoltor. I'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.